writer for a number of personal blogs and uh, you know, other blogs like Ribbon Farm. Uh, and uh, she's a self-proclaimed curious person. I sort of uh, came to know her as being the cypherpunk neoliberal from Justin Murphy's uh, podcast. So I wanted to talk to her about uh, a number of things like the cypherpunk movement uh, and you know all sorts of other stuff. Uh, but Sonia, could you introduce introduce yourself uh, by telling us about uh, your coffee intake? Yo, oh, my coffee intake. Um, what do you want to know about it? Quantity or the type or? Just uh, if you could paint a picture of it, uh, you know, quantity, <laughs> as much detail as you want to go into. Um, I'm definitely a regular coffee drinker. I think I drink maybe like three cups of caffeinated coffee a day, something like that, um, which is probably not good for my sleep cycle, but my sleep cycle is a disaster anyway. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, I do also... <laughs> I hope so. Um, I do also like decaf, though. I'm not that picky about coffee. Like, I appreciate a high-quality cup of coffee, but I will drink, like, you know, gas station coffee and still enjoy it. So I would say I'm a a coffee... uh, I'm definitely not a connoisseur. Maybe an omnivore, if you apply that concept to coffee. I hope that that conveys a, a sense of my coffee standards do you drink it mostly at home or do you go out mostly at home yeah i mean covid yeah i miss going to coffee shops i love i love a good coffee shop ambiance you know it's nice to kind of have that i've always enjoyed like kind of alone together sorts of states like that's my husband and i usually are in the same room um and he'll be, you know, doing whatever on his computer and I'm doing stuff on my computer. Um, so I, and I like that same kind of vibe, but in a public place, which is what a cafe feels like to me, you know, like I'll bring my laptop and just uh, having kind of the presence of other people without actually having to really invest any emotional energy in interacting with them. It's great. <laughs> yeah. You're in the Bay Area, right? Do you have a shop that you like there? Um, there's a, uh, Catahoula coffee. There's one in Berkeley. I I'm in the East Bay, um, is probably my favorite coffee shop and they have, it's also a roastery and they have really great beans. So I would say that's probably my favorite coffee overall. And yes, I, I live in the San Francisco Bay area for better or for worse. Um, I am lucky because my, my parents have lived here for a long time. I grew up around here. Uh, so my husband and I rent an apartment from my parents, which is what makes it like viable for us to live here. Uh, right. It's just so expensive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, uh, well, since we're talking, um, there's about to be annoying yard work. I hope it doesn't uh, fuck shit up. But uh, uh, since we're talking about everybody's favorite stimulant uh, beverage, uh, I, I was looking back at your uh, writing uh, when I was gearing up for this, and I saw that you did a, a post on Nootropics that was sponsored by some sort of modafinil place. And I'm curious if you yeah. had any uh, recent uh, run-ins with nootropics that have been positive or negative or, um, you know, where you at with that? I've kind of concluded that the nootropics that actually work are kind of already integrated into our society. So mainly caffeine and nicotine. Those are like by far the highest impact nootropics. Um, they're also not coincidentally super addictive. Mm. Um, 
I, modafinil actually, I'm probably selling modafinil a little bit short. It's never, I never like even really felt an effect from modafinil, but I have weird brain chemistry. So that's probably why uh, I know people who use it as like a productivity enhancement. Um, and then everything else is kind of, it's like nutritional supplements kind of like, mm -hmm. it's sort of iffy whether there's, is it placebo? It's hard to tell. Uh, and everyone's experience is very like N equals one. So I don't know. Um, I do think that caffeine and nicotine are, uh, ha are high impact though. Um, and I think like nicotine in particular, you can, you can use safely, uh, with like lozenges or whatever. Um, although a lot of people get nausea as a side effect. So, mm -hmm. you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, I think in general, nootropics, like, it just kind of turns out that the things that work the best, uh, you know, our ancestors figured out and decided to integrate into their daily lives already. So mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah. curious, uh, as somebody who's like got a different perspective on that whole scene besides myself, um, and I'm like, I'm a nootropics enthusiast. I like, you know, make my own little things. I you know, Oh, I what's your stack? Um, oh, man. I've right now i'm doing something called breakfast of champions it's just a kid like a kitchen sink stack basically um all sorts of stuff um but mainly like amino acids and you know like rhodiola that type of thing uh but i'm curious uh like who else you think is really interesting in that domain uh gorn basically uh do, do you know who gorn is oh yeah absolutely <laughs> uh for anyone who's listening who doesn't gorn is a kind of independent researcher who is sort of staggeringly erudite um his website gorn.net uh g-w-e-r-n is just an absolute treasure. Almost any topic that you're interested in kind of in a intellectual sphere he will have some uh, kind of like very long form, meticulously researched uh, writing on it, like spanning culture to like very hard science. Mm -hmm. uh, I so his newsletter um, will have like a bunch of links about like biology preprints prints and stuff, and then at the end it'll have like an opera review. Uh, I really am I'm a huge like Gwern fan girl. So uh, Gwern has done some fairly rigorous, especially for a one-person outfit um, research into nootropics and literature review and that kind of thing. Uh, he actually has a great page on nicotine in particular that like anyone who is considering using nicotine as like a cognitive aid or whatever uh, should read that page, I think. Um, so yeah, Gordon would definitely, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, I, I love his page for sure. And uh yeah, when I saw that he reviewed opera, uh, I felt very validated that he rated one of my least favorite operas, because I, I'm not into opera really, but he, uh, he rated uh, Vatsek the lowest, and I just felt a, a great sense of correctness. Um, you were like, yes, I'm vindicated by the master. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And man, yeah, I don't know how he crunches those numbers for the N of one stuff, but like, uh, if you see like James Fadiman's response to his like microdosing thing, it's like, he just has respect for whatever's going on statistically. Um, Gwern, cool, uh, yeah, Gwern has like double blinded himself in experiments. Or uh, can you double blind yourself? Uh, at least single blinded, um, which yeah, is an impressive cool. level of effort. I'm definitely too lazy to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that sort of, uh, I guess, like bridges us into the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is like cypherpunk culture. And um, I, I also saw that you like you have a lot of write-ups about cyberpunk. And um, I was wondering if you could A, spell out the difference and B, sort of uh, give me a sense of what interests you about uh, the contemporary cypherpunk scene. So hmm, the difference between cyberpunk and cypherpunk, cyberpunk is is kind of more of like a media thing. Um, it's much more focused on aesthetics. Uh, there's definitely overlap though. Like the cypherpunks are very cyberpunk. Um, most cyberpunk stuff isn't particularly cypherpunk, but there is some overlap. Like um, the cryptonomicon say would probably fall into both camps. Uh, so like cyber cyberpunk is like it, it's a media genre um, stemming from you know there's some sort of seminal works in what the 80s um, like uh, Neuromancer, Snow Crash, uh, uh, Bruce Sterling stuff, uh, and then cyberpunk it kind of developed semi contemporaneously. Like I I can't remember which term came first, whether cyberpunk or cyberpunk came first. I think cyberpunk is a play on cyberpunk but I might be misremembering the etymology there. Um, so cypherpunk is kind of, it, it's encryption, basically. It's centered on encryption, uh, like using encryption to evade censorship, basically, or to, uh, to circumvent, to obviate censorship. Um, and it's now, it's interestingly kind of spread from mainly, being mainly focused on communications to encompassing money, um, and now guns as the like 3d printing guns movement has really taken off. Um, well, it's not, it's funny. I, it's funny to me that 3d printed guns is sort of the, the description that has stuck despite it being really much more similar to CNC milling. Um, I guess 3d printing is just like the term that is most, well, I guess they're, I don't know. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. Um, so cypherpunk, uh, kind of the cypherpunk stack would be like Tor, Signal, Bitcoin. Um, it's these technologies that don't re don't rely on a centralized third party to be able to communicate or transact. Um, and the idea is to, you know, when the, when the internet was kind of first coming on the scene and developing, there was a lot of idealistic energy around like... Uh, you know, the, the state is going to be, um, is not going to matter in this new cyberspace realm. Uh, and that turned out to be not really quite correct. Um, but it's still, it's like the goal is still useful and it still drives a lot of useful work. Uh, like I think Bitcoin in particular, like right now, Bitcoin is, is by far the most active cypherpunk scene. Um, but there are also, you know, there are peripheral things like, oh, PGP. PGP is like the foundational mm -hmm. cypherpunk technology. Um, I don't know how good of an intro that is. Like, feel free to ask any follow-up questions that come to mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I, I think it was you that tweeted about SciHub being like kind of like a like a beacon of cypherpunk success or something like that. Was that you? Um, I don't know if it was me who tweeted that, but I do agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, SciHub is is a really interesting com like combination of I, it's it's a website right like uh, it's an interesting combination of decentralized and centralized because it is a centralized resource, um, but every time one of the websites gets popped, like a new one comes up, and it's kind of a like 
international regulatory arbitrage play where like the internet you can access websites that are hosted in like russia you know on the internet regardless of where you are um assuming that you have you know relatively free internet access free as in freedom not free as in uh beer um and uh it's a I, I would love to see uh, Sci-Hub like be an actual protocol, um, but I guess it would just use BitTorrent or something like that. Yeah. You don't really, yeah. Um, but Sci-Hub is great because it's so much more convenient than actually pirating stuff, like manually pirating stuff. Uh, Library Genesis is another kind of similar project that is really great. Well, I'm unfamiliar with that. Um, it's it's it, kind of like Sci-Hub, but for books as opposed to papers. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely very pro piracy. I don't really bother to pirate anything myself, but <laughs> which is, you know, why most people aren't that into piracy because you have Netflix or whatever, so why bother? Right. Out of curiosity, um are you mostly like a PDF person or are you into physical books or like how do you think about that? I'm much more physical books. Uh I hate reading PDFs for the most part. Like I just find the form factor really terrible um and i do i love i love the just the tactile experience of physical books uh, i do like i read a lot of ebooks um on, i basically my phone i it doubles as an e-reader so i read a lot of ebooks on the kindle app which I, is like another thing where i've definitely made the trade-off in favor of convenience like it's i i once went through the rigmarole of getting all of my books uh, sorry, getting all of my books off of Kindle um, and out of and like trying to and stripping the DRM and everything. And it was just such a huge pain in the ass. Like, it's just really not worth it. Um, so I buy hard copies of anything that I really, really care about. Um, I definitely I've gotten I went through a phase where I kind of wasn't reading or buying physical books at all because they just take up so much space, you know, mm. and ebooks are so convenient. Um, and I do, I like being able to highlight really easily and then like go have, you know, have like a repository of things that I've highlighted that I can copy and paste. That's really convenient. Uh, but physical books are censorship resistant in a way that ebooks aren't, you know, like Amazon is not going to be able to yank things off of my literal bookshelf in a way that it is with ebooks. Um, and I'm expecting the censorship regime in the United States to get a lot worse. Um, and I've, I've been expecting that for years, but it just like keeps coming true. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to keep ramping up. Um, and I really, the, the works that I care about the most, I want to have in hard copy. But of course, I, there, you know, there's a limit, right? Because they take up a lot of physical space. Definitely. It's funny because I just, I came to terms recently with being somebody that uh, I guess has the exact opposite preference. Like um, I appreciate books for, just like their value and uh like i agree that they're really nice but like i just i love the immediacy of a pdf um, mm, i respect that i wish that i liked reading pdf because the like the pdf hoarding thing is also very appealing i even kind of hoard pdfs despite not reading them so i can't <laughs> imagine what it's like as someone who actually reads them you must have like massive folders of them and they're all terribly indexed too, like uh, you know. And then you're just like, what is this? this uh, you know, one point dot whatever. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm also curious. Uh, you know, you you talk about like the aesthetics of cyberpunk. Uh, what what are your favorite parts, uh, aesthetically speaking, of the cyberpunk movement? 
the cypherpunk the aesthetics of cypherpunk mm -hmm. um i mean i love a good like bare bones html page where it's uh like plain text or something or it's like a text file um and i think i mean there's a lot there is a lot of overlap i think both movements draw inspiration from each other like the cyberpunk cyberpunk writing has a lot of cypherpunk stuff in it um and cypherpunk projects take definitely take inspiration from cyberpunk aesthetics uh so like yeah the cryptocurrency world so i i used to work at the zcash foundation um so the cryptocurrency world is definitely a big reference point for me um but i would say like in both cases my what i like about them is the high tech low life aspect of it which is kind of that's like the cyberpunk tagline is what makes something cyberpunk is the high tech low life um and I mean, that carries over to cypherpunk also. Like there's, it, it's very fringy, you know, like to be into cypherpunk stuff, especially to be as one of the, you know, cypherpunks write code, to be someone who's actually getting into the nitty gritty, you have to be pretty weird. Like it's it's very, there are, there's lots of like bespoke extremism and like bizarre political standpoints and stuff. Um, mm -hmm like the the famous assassination markets thing that came out of like early cypherpunk movement. Although it's funny, a lot of the OG cypherpunks like think that guy is crazy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, but the guy who wrote the assassination markets post um, was like a, a legitimately crazy person. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's, like, there's a fair amount of that. I think if you're into kind of fringe subcultures, you sort of get to kind of not like, is someone schizophrenic? Maybe they could still have a lot that's valuable to offer. Um, there, yeah, there are a lot of like very unhinged people um, mm. in these movements. But that, I think like that's something that's very appealing to me. I really like. I definitely have a very strong novelty drive, um, and a lot of novelty comes from like actually mentally unwell people. Probably like to some extent, including myself. Like I'm medicated, but I'm definitely uh, like. I don't know, like clinically diagnosed or whatever. Um, I, I'm one of the more boring kinds of mentally ill, like just depression, which is like kind of dime a dozen. But uh, I have a fairly high tolerance for actual, like actual legit insanity. But I mean, it does top out at a certain point. Like someone has to be somewhat tethered to reality to be interesting. Like one of my mutuals on Twitter or my former mutual, he got banned has like fully lost his mind to the extent that it's, I mean, it's like uncomfortable to interact with him because you don't know, it's like, you're, <laughs> I don't know how he's functioning as a like normal person on a day-to-day -day basis. It's like on the level where you're like, is your family aware that you've completely lost your marbles? I don't know. And that's kind of, I guess, the nature of the internet. Wow, this answer really went off the rails, <laughs> um, but I mean, maybe that's, that's representative. <laughs> <laughs> uh no that, that's great uh it, you mentioned pgp and I'm, I'm just curious uh like i've long been a pgp person uh but like i don't know if it's because signals around now but like i feel like anytime that i try to use uh, pgp with anybody that i know is capable of it then they're just like no nah, i don't want to <laughs> and like I, I guess it's tedious but like um, it is tedious it's not that tedious <laughs> I think it's like the combination of tedious and having like zero practical ROI. Like, 
I don't, you don't get any immediate benefits from using PGP, just the kind of abstract, like I I'm harder to spy on benefit. Um, I, I am very lazy about that stuff. Like I use signal signal is easy to use. <laughs> so totally, yeah. Yeah. yeah the um, blue version of messages. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> and then, I mean, I use Tor occasionally. I mostly use Tor when there's like something that I have to use Tor to see. I don't use it like on a rate. It's not definitely not my daily driver. I would love to be one of those people, but I'm just not actually one of those people. Well, if you're using it as your like your daily you know, uh, driver, then like aren't you kind of taking up the bandwidth that should be reserved for, or, you know, uh, is that a thing? Uh, no, but it's more that you're providing cover traffic. So it's better to, cause like, um, I, I don't remember the technical details of how this works, but like the NSA can tell, you know, can see who is using Tor. They can't see what you're doing with Tor, but they know that you're using Tor. Um, so it helps to add to the, it helps to add to like the anonymity pool. Um, so it, it's encouraged to use Tor. They want you to use it. Uh, also Tor is working on scalability. Like they have a big, um, they have a big ongoing uh, like scalability upgrade that they're working on. I don't know where it is in its process of development, but I know that it's something that's on their minds. Because yeah, it is. I mean, it's pretty. It's it's gotten a lot better than it used to be. Like Tor is much more seamless. It's it's like the user experience is vastly improved um, over say like five years ago, uh, which I guess is not surprising. Like five years is kind of an eon in internet time. Um, but yeah, use Tor. Don't, don't feel guilty <laughs> about it. You're supposed Fair to. Enough. Good to know. Uh, so with all the, the shenanigans that happened, you know, a few days ago, um, and like any sort of uncertain, uncertainty about like, uh, whether or not the voting is legitimate, uh, you know, when there are things like Cardano coming along, uh, or just like, you know, smart contracts that seem to be offering something that's like a little bit more sure. Um, do you see potential for that type of thing, like assisting in these types of situations, or do you think that it's kind of like a pipe dream that will never happen? Um, I mean, it's like it's always a pipe dream that'll never happen until it suddenly isn't. Uh, like mm -hmm. you know, people were using Bitcoin as an example again. People were working on the concept of Bitcoin for a long time, and it was. Uh, kind of poo-pooed as being impossible or like, you know, it was always going to have fatal flaws. Uh, and Bitcoin does have flaws, don't get me wrong, or rather it has like trade-offs, um, but it doesn't have fatal flaws as evidenced by its like continued success. Uh, so I think I would expect kind of the same thing with electronic voting. Um, I do think that like actual adoption of it, I mean, it's almost like a separate question. Uh, you know, the the technical there, there are the technical issues and there are the social issues and there's mm -hmm. overlap, but they are somewhat different. Like, is there going to be an incentive, like a compelling incentive for sort of the powers that be to adopt electronic, like cryptographically verifiable voting? I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. eventually uh, I would expect smaller countries to go for it first versus the United States. Um, and kind of like a lot of our, our ballot problems or our voting problems are like solved by paper ballots, but uh, it just takes a long time to deal with paper ballots. So 
in this like instantaneous 24 seven, uh, world, I don't know how long people are going to put up with those delays. We'll see. Yeah. Like that is a big part of what caused problems in this cycle was both that like the, the uncertainty introduced by counting delays, uh, like, um, as someone who, who actually like does communicate with people on either side of the aisle, like sometimes you get vilified for this. Like, am I about, is someone going to get mad at me for knowing what, uh, the, the people who think the election was stolen think? I don't know. But a big thing was the like sudden, like quote unquote dumps of ballots for Biden, uh, which is kind of, there's. I, I want to call it like plausible deniability where it's like, okay, they could have just counted them up and then reported them all at once. I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to litigate, uh, you know, the election, election security stuff, but, um, are we going to get better elections? Probably not. Like I would bet against it in the near term. I think eventually, eventually we'll get some kind of upgrade. It'll probably be shitty though. <laughs> like I, I just don't expect anything to go well in that realm. Yeah, I just I feel like having like a mathematician uh, or like a cryptographer, uh, you know, save the day sounds like the dream, but you know, alas. Um, Maybe in a novel. <laughs> yeah, uh, in a different multiverse. Uh, so you like weird subcultures, and you uh, seem to enjoy, you know, as you say, people with beliefs that are ortho orthogonal to yours. Um, what was I going to ask about this? Uh, I guess like. The cypherpunk stuff and like open source, uh, I feel like there's some overlap with like kind of like the occult and chaos magic y type stuff in the weird subculture space. Like, um, I think you like, uh, I think we're mutuals of liminal warmth, and that seems yeah. like you know, um, I'm curious about the weird subcultures that use or where, where there's crossover here in your uh, travels. Interesting. I mean, they're definitely, they're technologists who are also interested in magic and the occult, for sure. Um, I don't know if there's more crossover with uh, sort of, you know, like, say, the open source ecosystem versus other spheres. I like, I, I think, um, you know, if you're into astrology, you're probably also into tarot. And uh, the effect is much weaker for, like, if you're into... Um, I, I'm trying to think of like a rep if you're into like Linux or something you're it's much less likely that you're also into magic um and I actually I would say the site like the cypherpunk world there's some overlap but it seems to be much less than just kind of like technology in general um I think more the more like art leaning Say people who are into like uh, indie video games. I think there's more overlap with the kind of occult world versus uh, cypherpunk stuff. Um, cypherpunks tend to be pretty like INTJ, which is usually fairly um, not not embracing of woo stuff. Uh, and I like I used to be pretty anti woo, and I've come around more recently, like over the past year or so. It seems like um, a lot of people uh, in that sort of world come around to woo eventually. So, I mean, it it's just like it works, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense that it works, but it does. Or it kind of does make sense, but in a way that's hard to accept. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Well, uh, let me see here. 
Um, I'm curious to hear more about like the sort of weird subcultures that you've uh, come across and uh, sort of like the, the weirdest uh, orthogonal beliefs to yours. Um, orthogonal beliefs to mine. I mean, there are a lot of people who have different values from me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I tend to, I tend to get along with like, or I guess the areas that I'm interested in have a higher concentration of like crazy right-wing people than crazy left-wing people. Although there's definitely some of both. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I associate with a fair few like hardcore anarcho-capitalists. Um, and I actually like, I, I find the philosophy of anarcho-capitalism very appealing. It just like doesn't actually work in any sense. Um, which kind of that applies to anarchy overall, actually. Like, I think constitutionally or sort of in terms of mindset, uh, I definitely vibe with the, the anarchists of all flavors more than most other spheres. But it's just completely impractical, unfortunately, like centralized power works really well um, and, and just like is a thing that happens over and over again. So I don't, I really don't see any, um, you know, I don't, I don't think like the anarchist revolution is ever coming. It just doesn't like work in practice. Uh, well, where do you fall on that? I have no idea what your politics are. Um, I mean, like I, I sort of vibe with the anarcho uh, capitalist thing, like Michael Humer type sort of like Brian Kaplan uh, ideas, I guess. But uh, it's actually funny tomorrow I'm interviewing an anarcho syndicalist who like, this dude is nice. so leftist that I, I just feel like at any moment I'm saying something that's like distressing him uh, or like, you know, going to get me canceled in his eyes. But uh, he's a good dude. Uh, so it'll be interesting to talk about it. Uh, he's also like a physicist type person. So like we're I mean, oh, like, cool. drag him into that world. Um, uh, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I guess sort of anarcho-capitalist for me um, in that general vicinity. Oh, well. The cypherpunks are very ANCAP overall. Like, mm -hmm. cypherpunk is kind of like applied anarcho-capitalism. Um, again, I would, I would say like Bitcoin is exceedingly anarcho-capitalist. Um, just in like as a project, uh, the idea of stateless, uh, stateless gold kind of. Um, I guess gold is stateless already, but um, uh, the the store of value that doesn't require the state to protect it or secure it is uh, very appealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just really, really don't like the government personally, but I don't think we can not have government. Like, I just don't think that would actually happen. I would like if it would, but I, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Wait, I, I also wanted to ask you about the the woo sphere. Like, what's your what's your experience <laughs> with it, or like, what's your interest? Um. I mean, like, I guess, like, I like sort of like this chaos magic world of like, you know, Peter Carroll or like, uh, you know, sort of like post uh, Austin Austin Spare. But uh, I don't know, like, I don't have any appreciation for uh, astrology or that type of stuff, which is funny because I feel like that's like the go to. Like, tarot is something that's never attracted me, but um, just. Oh, interesting. Like, you know, I'm more in, like, I, I don't know. I guess, like, I appreciate like the. I used to think of it like as like the California magic sort of lineage of like just like NLP type stuff of like you know like you know get into an altered state program what you want uh and just kind of like more like a treating like the wetware like you know you can program it yourself I feel like that's a sort of more modern version of it mm. why do you find uh 
astrology, I feel like it's, it's pretty understandable why most people find it unappealing. I'm personally not big into astrology, but uh, tarot, I'm curious why it doesn't appeal to you. Although, I mean, that's kind of an inherently hard question, like why something doesn't appeal to you, but still, t- take a stab at it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think that I, it's like an aesthetic thing. Like, I think that I prefer sort of Eastern aesthetics. Like, I would be more inclined oh. to, towards like the I Ching or something uh, instead of tarot in terms of like if I were to do divination of some sort or like, I mean, even How then, do you like, feel about runes? I don't really know anything about them. <laughs> I listen to runes super occasionally. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I was just thinking about the aesthetics. I feel like runes are kind of in between the Eastern and Western. Uh, I guess, I mean, rune runes are kind of a, um, I mean, you could call the Yi Ching runes, I guess. I was thinking of like Norse runes specifically. Or say, what about like bone casting? Bone casting is great aesthetics. I mean, like I'm a vegan, so I feel like I wouldn't. Uh, oh, no. Bones, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I just feel like I, that's like the completely wrong thing to say to a vegan, and I didn't realize you were vegan. <laughs> what if they were like reclaimed bones? from like i don't know roadkill or something um i mean yeah, first of all i mean like i'm not a sensitive vegan you can say uh, whatever you want uh but i mean i guess that's like you know reading tea leaves or something like that uh in my mind i'm just like you know, uh but i don't know like the other thing um and i talked to liminal about this uh is like super forecasting like uh philip tetlock like i'm not that capable of doing that type of stuff but um it's kind of an interesting parallel to divination yeah Mm, yeah it's sort of like uh it's like autist divination which is kind of beautiful in a way Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Um, yeah I'm also I try not to predict the future I like with mixed results sometimes I end up trying anyway but um I or I try to not try to predict the future but sometimes I end up like trying to predict the future anyway. And I usually regret it. But, like now I'm thinking in this conversation, well, no, I think censorship continuing to ramp up is like a prediction that I actually do feel pretty comfortable with. But for the most part, I try to limit it because it's just really difficult. Like the future is very weird and nonlinear and like all kinds of shit happens. It's hard to foresee. And I hate being wrong. So... <laughs> If you limit your predictions, that really cuts down on wrongness in a way that I find helpful. Um, if you were to put like a probability on censor- censorship becoming uh, like a full issue, uh, what would it be? I mean, I guess that's a hard target to pin down. But... Yeah, I'm not sure how I'd calibrate. Like, what what would be the trigger condition there? Um, I'm trying to think of something specific that I would predict happening. This is the thing, like, I inherently recoil from that idea. Like, I like predicting the generality where I can, like, factor <laughs> uh, anything that happens that, like, fits a particular pattern. I can be like, see, I was right. But if I have to predict something specific, I think, I like, I would just, like, punt on it and say, like, no, I can't predict this specific things. I don't know how it's going to play out exactly. Like, I think we're going to continue on this trajectory. Um but that's, I mean, that's really easy to say, isn't it? Like, oh, you know, thing that's already happening, it's going to keep happening. Oh, mm-hmm. wow, you're a genius. Like, <laughs> that's never happened before. Um, yeah, like, I would be really shocked, say, if um, 
if section, uh, maybe this is like a negative predict, uh, prediction. I don't think that um, social media becoming common carriers will happen. That seems exceedingly unlikely to me. Uh, so like, you know how say um, your your phone service is at least not supposed to deny you or like to, you know, censor people based on what they talk about in their phone calls. Um, I would be absolutely like gobsmacked if that kind of protection came to something like Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I, yeah, I would say there's like almost no chance of that happening. Uh, in terms of OPSEC, uh, besides PGP and like Tor and uh, like Signal, is there anything else in the sort of like cypherpunk toolkit? Hmm. Um, I like OPSEC. I, I would say that the most important thing about OPSEC is threat modeling, which is not really a technology, but just like a mindset, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of like what what are the realistic or like what are the actual risks that you're running and how can you mitigate those specific risks? Um, so like for me, I like my personal OPSEC is like I use a password manager. <laughs> it's like really boring and typical. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I have... Um, you know, I have like a couple of email addresses that I don't use publicly that I only use for, you know, stuff that I want to like either not have under my own name or have be like hard to guess. Uh, you should have two factor authentication on like most stuff. Um, and it shouldn't be SMS two factor. Um, this is kind of like, I, I would say those things are actually way more important than like Tor or Signal. Um, is just like securing your accounts. Uh, I don't post pictures of my uh, of where I live, like the skyline around where I live, because I don't want to get stalked. Um, like it probably wouldn't be that hard to find me if someone were really motivated, but I don't want it to be easy. Um, mm -hmm. Like I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I never say the exact city that I live in online. Um, so this, and this is like, this is tailored to what the risks are to me personally, or at least as I've assessed it. Like I'm almost, well, I'm like pretty much zero worried about like a uh, nation state kind of level stuff, especially since like actually securing yourself from nation state access is really, really difficult. Like if you read about um, say Snowden's OPSEC, it's, fucking ridiculous like it's just way too much work um that I really don't want to do a lot of work uh so there's definitely I would say like maybe min maxing is a is an important part of ops like like what are the high impact things that you can do that don't take that much effort um and even like 2FA is pretty annoying but I've I deem it to be worth the effort like the friction is is worth it um yeah so those are my opsec thoughts what about you? So as, as someone who actually, like, I really respect that you're willing to jump through the hoops to use PGP, despite like personally not being willing to do it. Um, what, like, what is the perceived benefit to you? Why do you bother? Um, it's funny because like a lot of the time when I use it, I'm not even like covering up sensitive information. I feel like I just get like a, like a cryptography dopamine hit kind of, uh, <laughs> uh I mean, I I don't mean know. cryptography is really awesome. Like, it's yeah. super, super cool. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, to bring it back to the magic thing, like, it's kind of like, you know, the hermetic seal on something. And so, like, it's good to know that, like, it, you know, you, you have that power to, like, uh, enforce privacy. Um, 
it's funny also because like I don't know like I don't I have some sort of uncertain feelings about privacy because like um I don't know like I think if we all had reduced privacy it might not matter as much you know like uh like mm. it, like some of the stuff that like Audrey Tang talks about um I'm not familiar uh she's like a like a I guess a digital democracy person in Taiwan and so oh. uh, they're just using you know, a lot of like uh new technology to uh you know I guess you know improve the democracy democracy so um I don't know I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, PGP is like easy enough for me. I'm the type of guy that like just has text edits open, so it's like easy to just. Be like, um, but then again, you know, signals there. But it seems like yeah. people don't want to get on Signal. Like you have to convince them, and so like I sort of like I'm like you can join the cool kid club of music Signal, or you can join the extra cool kid club of PGP. And I've gone maybe two converts. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of PGP as the kind of hermetic seal. And I wonder if that's, uh, sort of the main usage of, well, probably not the main usage of PGP, because then you would also like, I mean, it's used, it's used, it, some people do use it seriously, like as actual, you know, securing information kind of stuff. Uh, I wonder if like, I, as far as I know, transacting on the on like darknet markets you still have to use it um i don't know that's another thing where there's just so many hoops to jump through maybe if weed wasn't legal in california i might use darknet markets but actually probably i just wouldn't smoke weed <laughs> i don't know i'm, I'm yeah. definitely lazy like uh I, I do not deserve any cypherpunk cred by the way like i just know a bunch of cypherpunk people but um I uh, kind of don't do any of it myself. Like I don't write code. <laughs> so if cypherpunks write code, then I definitely don't count. It's funny uh, getting the the sense of your coffee consumption and your uh, like, I guess how important weed is to you uh, really fills out my model of who you are. <laughs> well, I actually, I haven't, weed is so expensive is the thing. Like I really want, I, I feel like in say five to 10 years, the prices are going to be much lower. Like they've already been dropping. Um, but the level of regulation definitely imposes like a price floor. Um, and I don't, I don't have like, I wish I knew like an actual dealer or something so that I could buy like bottom barrel weed for cheaper. But, um, so I haven't been smoking at all recently just because it's expensive and, um, trying to live frugally relatively you know as frugally as you can while living in the goddamn bay area but totally. um yeah i do miss it though i bet weed is definitely my favorite drug like it's so nice <laughs> just so mellow yeah um it's funny like i feel like my aversion to it uh, like i i do smoke weed but my main aversion is just like kind of mainstream stoner culture being so like stupid you know? it's very cringe yeah um, it's, it is kind of an embarrassing drug to associate with because of mm -hmm. all those, uh, the stereotypes and the, and, and like the stereotypes are true. Like I've known some really hardcore stoners and yes, they are like that. Like, um, yeah, well, um, yeah. Yeah, before, uh, before I'm taking up too much of your time, I wanted to sort of talk zines and stuff. Um, so oh, you, yeah. you do a zine and, uh, something that you talk about in, what I've read about it is like artifact and I'm curious how you distinguish artifact mm, yeah. from art 
Um, so artifact just indicating like a thing, you know, like a like a uh, like I would say that this this is an artifact, you know. Um, although I wonder, I mean, you can definitely make digital artifacts. Like I would consider a PDF, say, would be like a digital artifact. Mm -hmm. um, there's kind of there's a connotation of like heft to it uh, that it has. Um, I don't know that it has some like distinct thingness to it. Thingness. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I really like making kind of publications. Like I, I just always really loved publishing. Um, and I like I used to make zines as a teenager when it was way more of a pain in the ass. And I like I didn't have any budget to get stuff printed uh, professionally. So I was just like running things off on my parents printer. Um, and I actually still use my parents' printer, but not as heavily as I used to. Um, and I, there's something about uh, the like craftedness of making a some kind of distinct publication. I don't know, it's just very satisfying. Like I think um, there's a kind of primal satisfaction in, especially in making physical objects, actually. It's just very, the, the tangibleness of it is very satisfying. Uh, and so art, like art generally, I think would, you know, it can take any number of forms and it's sort of famously like flexible and hard to define. Uh, mm -hmm. but an artifact, like, I guess now I'm wondering, like, could you make an artifact that doesn't count as art and under an expansive definition of art? No, but I mean, I guess like, uh, say like, a you know, you buy a microwave and it comes with like an instruction manual. I would consider a microwave instruction manual. That's an artifact, but I wouldn't think of it as art, like automatically. Although mm -hmm. if you then asked me like, does this count as art? I'd be like, well, someone designed the schematics. So, you know, if you're, if you're, mind, uh, like, about it. there's like a, a connotation of like foundness in my mind. I'm not sure if that, uh, resonates with you as well like you know like you might find an artifact but you like versus uh, making one I'm not sure but um that's just where my mind goes yeah no I think there's there's some like mystique in the word artifact like it conjures up say like something that you'd that you would find say at an antique shop you know or like <laughs> I'm thinking of the like magic stores in Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> there's all kinds of like cursed objects and stuff and I think that's that's I think that connotation is intentional in using the word artifact is that there is a um, some kind of some mystery to it. Uh, and, and, you know, a little bit of like old world flavor. It's almost like nostalgia bound up in it, uh, especially in our, you know, our like 24 seven digital world things that are things that are things that, like I said, they have some heft to them. And maybe that also like having the ability to develop history um, an artifact is able to show its age. Um, although I guess you could say the same of like, say old video games. Now you have to like jump through ho hoops to run them on current machines. Uh, and sometimes they show their age in terms of distinction, like being, having older aesthetics or like having older, uh, kind of aesthetic affordances shaped by the technology of the time. Um, so maybe an artifact is 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 something that can show its age. Maybe that okay. feels like a, an important criterion, uh, but I'm not positive. What do you think? 
I, I think that sounds reasonable. Uh, I it, so in the physicality thing, like you know, you've written so much stuff online, and uh, it seems like you're veering back towards uh, a physical thing. And for me, like uh, to give you a sense of like me, I, I went to music school uh, for guitar, and when I was done with it, I was just like, guitar's stupid. Like it's this clunky thing that's expensive. You know, you have to carry it around, and like carrying a guitar sucks. It's heavy, uh, and so and, like large but also kind of fragile like if you bang it into something you're gonna be upset about it yeah and it gets coveted and like it like weed culture i hate gear culture like i hate people that are just mm. into buying toys uh, as adults uh but uh and i i basically went to the, through this phase of like only digital and everything was digital uh and it was great but like now like I feel like that's never actually landed with anybody. So I'm back to the physical thing. And so I'm curious uh, what physicality in uh, your zines means to you. Um, well, I think we are, you know, we're embodied creatures. We have physical bodies. We are made of flesh. Uh, even our cognition is flesh, you know, and mm -hmm. as far as I can tell, it's, you know, all up here. Um, or, you know, then that gets into like, how much of your hormones are part of your cognition? But anyway, ignoring that. Um, so I think I like connecting with people as bodies. And there's something like, I, it's different to talk to people in person versus like even this. This is kind of the closest that we can practically get to an in-person conversation using the internet. And it's really not the same at all. You know, there's so much so much bandwidth that's still missing. Um, and I, I like, I, yeah, I guess I just like having that connection with other people as bodies, as flesh. And I think it has a different effect on people too. Um, like reading something online is different from reading it on paper. Um, and I don't know, I do like, I like digital publishing also. I have always been into blogging. I'm still into blogging, um, but as, it, it's like, it's just a different kind of satisfying. Um, it feels, I, and I think it is like primal, you know, cause we are physical beings, like having a thing that you can physically touch, that you can physically give to somebody else does make a difference. And it, uh, it kind of, it scratches an itch that isn't scratched by the internet, at least for me. I don't know if everyone would feel the same way about it. Mm -hmm. Like, do you, mm -hmm. when you're, say when you're, like playing a guitar physically versus does the music creation process feel different to you or does it have like a different kind of satisfaction attached to it? I guess that's the other aspect of it. Like it definitely, the creative process feels way different because like, like something that I take issue with, uh, I'm, I'm a really snobby guitarist. And so like uh, when somebody plays something that's totally guitaristic, I'm just kind of like, Oh cool. You like are doing something that is like set for this instrument. But uh I'm really interested in like non-guitaristic stuff. So like, um, like my favorite guitarist basically just uh, like showed me the power of permutations. And so you go through all these different permutations that aren't comfortable. Like they hurt your fingers to play. Um, uh. but it's like to become aware of these possibilities that aren't really just comfortable and you know at your disposal is kind of interesting to me. It's like similarly like you know if you're doing something if you're drawing by hand. Um, I mean it's a totally different skill set, but like you know, compared to using Photoshop, like the possibilities are endless, but like at the same time, people relate to that sort of like, I'm doing this with my hand and it's not going to be accurate. It's going to be gestural. It's going to have tons of inaccuracy. So um, kind of it's funny that I think people just like to see people jump through the hoop of 
like you know committing to something physical and like having to use their monkey brain to like do their best job at it um versus you know like like for instance i like i like to compose algorithmically so like i'm not a coder by any means but like i, I throw some spaghetti code together and um come up with like little logics yeah but uh i don't know that's like a that's how i think more in terms of like games um but so many people just want to like jam and i just i can't jam not a jammer huh that's interesting you're making me think of how like there's so many different ways of engaging with any different like tool set and you also made me think of like there's kind of a costly signaling aspect of like doing anything physically like say um you know you can do you can do such like perfect and um also like realistic but fantastical at the same st time stuff with say cgi uh, like you see that in like current video games and movies, you know, there's this like uh, kind of hyper realism where it's things that could never exist in real life, but that are portrayed as in, you know, in this very like immersive sort of, you know what I'm talking about. I don't need mm -hmm. to like repeat those words. Um, but, you know, there's still like, say there's super popular Instagrams of people doing like physical watercolor. And I wonder how much is the... Uh, I don't know. There's like a, there's there's the meta aesthetic of like whatever tool set you used to make a particular work, um, and I think that people are interested in that like pro the the production process aspect of making something. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's something that people have been interested in with my work is like the zines themselves are interesting, but also why and how I made the zines or like why I chose to make zines is something that people are interested in and that seems to be part of what makes the works themselves compelling is I mean even just like that it's unusual to make physical zines seems to add to the appeal mm -hmm. um which is interesting um and I guess I don't really, I don't have a like intellectual grasp of why, but I, I would point to like signaling and I guess it's almost like a proof of work sort of thing. Yeah, uh, like, that's, actually, that's interesting that you say proof of work. Uh, I was brainstorming and I, I wrote uh, on a note card the other day, uh, like art equals proof of work in the public square. Um, Cause like the proof of work thing, actually I think I got that from that, uh, you linked somebody's post about social capital. Uh, or their blog post about it, and it was interesting. Um, somebody way, or why way? Um, mm, I'm not sure. Wait, Eugene way maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, was it uh, social status as a service? Maybe yes. that's a really really good post. Yeah, super got, long, like, but like eighty percent true. Um, I think you probably got most of it then. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very long post, but um, I'm glad you read that. It's one of those things that I like want everyone to read, but you know you can't actually make people read stuff. So totally. Yeah. Um, so uh, you also, I mean, your zine is about ritual currently, right? Or is that a past zine? Uh, that I I did make a zine about rituals. I, rituals are definitely something that I'm still interested in. Like it definitely does come up in current stuff that I'm working on. Um, I, it's a little all over the place. Like I would say I'm interested in like myths and metaphysics and stuff. Um, I, uh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have like a set topic. I kind of bounce around. Um, like the last scene that I made that I'm actually working on the digital version was about uh, why I like changed from atheist back to theist, um, which is a really big and difficult to tackle topic. Uh, it's been kind of nerve wracking to write about that actually. Which probably is, you know, it's a good thing. I'm pushing myself, but um, it's, yeah, it's a little bit scary. That's interesting. Um, as somebody who's like, I mean, like I've been a card carrying atheist since I was like a baby. Um, but I'm curious to hear about your shift back to theism. And also like, uh, you know, I came across you through Justin Murphy and I saw that he did a pod today and uh, they were talking about Bitcoin and they're talking about it in terms of religion which was kind of interesting mm. you know, like how it requires faith and I feel like a lot of their Christian references were just lost on me but uh, I'm curious to hear about or is the scene out already or yeah. no it's not out yet um, hopefully soon but I've been saying that for a while so mm. we'll see um, I part of the reason why it's difficult to talk about is that I think there's a sort of necessary visceral element uh, and this is kind of a meta view of mine overall that I think knowledge has more knowledge is, is all tied up with personal experience um, in a way that makes it really it's kind of one of the inherent things um, that makes communication difficult is sort of your frame of reference. Right. Like what have you personally experienced? How did you process those experiences um, and what intellectual frameworks uh, did you use or are sort of embedded in your consciousness? Um, and it's difficult to communicate across frameworks, I think. Um, so that's, I mean, and that's been kind of one of my goals is to try to go across frameworks, uh, across sort of like, I, I maybe like a, a way to think about it would be like, say, Western philosophy versus Eastern philosophy, right? Like there's a lot of overlap in the topics that are being addressed, uh, kind of the underlying realities that are being processed, but there's different vocabulary, different sort of different, different concepts are brought to bear. Um, and it's like the, the shape of the concepts, you know, like there will be, uh, there will be a lot of overlap, um, say like, uh, you know, like samsara and uh, the Christian notion of sin, you know, there's a lot of overlap in those concepts, but they are different in their sort of their edges, like what they, what they exclude versus include is going to have like a different shape. Um, and trying to talk about the underlying realities um, without you know, ending up getting distracted by the concepts, that's really difficult. Um, like the vocabulary really shapes how we think about things. Um, this is all very meta. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of avoiding your your object level question because it's hard to talk about. <laughs> um, I don't know, what is, you know, say, watch the space kind of, <laughs> it'll come out eventually, hopefully soon. Like I am, it's just, I've been working on this like pretty much for all of 2020. And I really do want to get it out the door so I don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that's like when I end up publishing stuff is when I'm like so sick of thinking about something. And I, I often pre-commit to various things because otherwise I'll just like drop it because I'm tired of it. Um, and pre-committing in some kind of public way is a good way to force myself to like follow through and actually finish the damn thing. Um, 
No, writing is painful. I don't actually like writing. I like having written, which is, I think I've ripped that quote from somebody, but, um, and I think it's a pretty common experience. Like actually creating stuff is pretty painful and difficult. Uh, it's just like satisfying once you get to show it to people and be like, here, look, I made something, but I I don't really like the process of actually making stuff most of the time. What about you? You Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's cool. I think the I feel the same way unless like you can get yourself in a flow state. And I guess that's like, you know, when like nootropics are helpful to like sort of push your mind into uh, the state that you want it to be in. Um, I mean, I wish that I could like reliably trigger that, but um, I don't know. It's like uh, also difficult having a ton of different, uh, you know, projects going where, you know, you only make incremental prod- uh, progress. And it's hard to sort of like task, you know, switch. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something that you mentioned though about like, uh, you know, the communication of, I forget exactly how you said it, but it reminded me um, of this guy, Andres uh, Gomez and Nielsen, who I interviewed. And we were doing uh, basically his eight models of art. And I think you sort of hit on two of them. One of them is art as like, uh, I guess, like an affective intermediary, like, his example mm. is basically how do you have uh, somebody on Molly talk to somebody on speed? Uh, like, what is the thing in there that allows them to relate? And the other thing was uh, basically like uh, sort of the expensiveness and signaling aspect, uh, like the waste signaling and playing a, a big, uh, you know, clunky physical instrument. And sort of brought that back to like, uh, what's his face, Jeffrey Miller and like the mating mind oh. and displaying waste as. Uh, signaling me and so it's kind of interesting that this all comes back to that um yeah go there oh definitely one of the topics that i've been interested in for a really long time is um sort of social status and the things that i there's a lot of magic to social status like it's this Mm -hmm. kind of gestalt combination of a bunch of different sort of processes that are running in parallel and get all tangled up with each other um And this also makes me think of the like, uh, so say if we talk about, um, we talk about the sort of the social signaling or the the costly signaling, the waste aspect of say using a guitar. Um, But there's also like, I I definitely, like I think that that has validity. It like has merit as an observation, but I would turn to the thing that I mentioned earlier about us being like embodied flesh creatures. Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. another aspect of it is the, um, the tangibility, the, um, and just the embodiedness, you know, like so much of our online lives is just, it's like this 2d flat screen kind of thing. That's our way of interacting with it. but that's, you know, we, we are, we're 3D creature. Well, actually we're 4D because we move through time, but you know what I mean. Um, we're 3D creatures and we want 3D experiences. Uh, we sort of, we, you know, we evolved in 3D, if that makes sense. And um, yeah, so I think that's it's just, it's just part of what we want, like instinctively is to be, is to have physical experiences and do physical things. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, like music being like a, a temporal thing down to like the, the micro timing of it, um, but also like being a spatial thing, like, I guess, uh, you know, if your sense of spatialness or space uh, is just headphones, like left and right, you know, it's just two dimensions versus 
you know, like being in a room and having, you know, like however many plus time and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Um, well, uh, I feel like, uh, we should wind this up. I'm curious if you can give me, um, sort of like a sense of any recommended media diet stuff or like, uh, any amazing blogs that you think I should check out or uh, other listeners should Ooh. check out? Um, this is kind of like semi-orthogonal from the stuff we've been talking about, but whenever I get asked about like good blogs, I mention it. Uh, rootsofprogress.org. Um, this guy, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name right now, which is terrible because we've met in person several times. Uh, Jason, Jason something. Uh, anyway, rootsofprogress.org. Uh, he's done a bunch of research, like reading old books and giant PDFs and stuff about how we got to our current industrial, like very wealthy society and what, you know, what inventions were necessary, what kind of economic progress or what, like what economic affordances had to develop for certain technologies to actually reach, you know, everyday life. Uh, and it's really interesting to dig into. He's a very accessible writer. Jason Crawford, that's his name. All right, got it. Um, and uh, Jason is a really nice guy also. Uh, so I really recommend that website. It's really interesting. Um, a blog that I've been reading, uh, I'm reading the backlog right now, is um, ballantorcastle.blogspot.com, which is written by a guy whose name I completely don't know. Um, who is restoring a, uh, I think it's a medieval castle, I want to say medieval, um, in Scotland. And it's his blog about the restoration process. Um, and it's just really interesting. Like, um, it kind of, it's, a, it's a, a window into the past filtered through the present. And actually, both, both of those blogs are windows into the past filtered through the concerns of the present. Um, and uh, both kind of hit themes of like heritage and uh, and also like how how to thrive, you know. Um, and the Ballantor Castle one is a very sort of personal perspective. It's this one guy's crusade to revive this building and bring it back to its former splendor. Where Roots of Progress is looking at like a society-wide kind of perspective on how can we. How can we, you know, get our flying cars, right? The things that, the things that we dreamed of, how can we actually make those happen? Um, and it's sort of two different viewpoints into that quest, which is a very longstanding human concern. Um, yeah, so those are, those are two websites that I'd recommend. Um, okay. Any uh, sort of media in like the, the music or film or anything like that that's more artsy? Uh, well, this is super normy, but I've been listening to Taylor Swift's two recent <laughs> albums, which are kind of her return to more of a folk, like, I would say more folk than country, but it definitely has some country influences, kind of out of, like, out of her kind of bubblegum pop phase back into a little bit more of a, like, acoustic less engineered kind of sound, although I'm sure they're still hyper engineered and I'm just like not aware of it. Uh, but I've really been enjoying those. It's fun. <laughs> um, I my music taste is very like top forty. So um, <laughs> the artists that I was obsessed with in twenty twenty were Black Bear and Skizzy Mars. So you know, <laughs> for what it's worth. 
it's funny that you mentioned Taylor Swift. Uh, the last person I interviewed is this guy who has a project called Money Hammer, which is like a, a death metal project that uh, he's like an actuary and he teaches personal finance through the death metal project. And, That's amazing. Uh, it, yeah, it, interestingly, when I asked him, he mentioned his love of Taylor Swift. So uh, second podcast in a row where that's come up. <laughs> um, I Podcast listeners clearly got to check out Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, you heard it here. Um, <laughs> well, um, where can people find you and what's your like Twitter stuff for? Oh, yeah. Like um, my handle is Sonia Supposedly. So uh, my website is soniasupposedly.com. Uh, Sonia with a Y, S-O-N-Y-A. Uh, that's also my Twitter handle. Um, and if you Google Sonia Man, S-O-N-Y-A-M-A-N-N, um, I'm pretty sure everything that comes up is me. Uh, I think, I hope, <laughs> cross fingers. Um, so yeah, that's how to find me. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah. We covered a lot of territory, so I hope people uh, enjoyed the the journey. Yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to go all over. Uh, you know, keep it multidisciplinary. So, um, cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Sonia. This has been fun.